All right. Can we uh, thank Bria for leading us in that game? You can go ahead and, and grab your seats. That's like a, a tricky version of Simon Says is, is what that is. What's the game? We should do the game. What's the game where you do like, you have to get into groups to like row your boat to do canoe? That's ships and sailors. It's the same thing, but you, okay. They're all variations. I like it. All right. Well, thanks for coming once again to Relay. We've been doing, this year we have been doing a series called Worldview, uh, looking at what it means to have a Christian worldview. The verse I started with at the beginning of the series that we've kind of been looking at is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what we've been seeking to do, to, to not be conformed to the, what this world believes or thinks, but really to find out what does God think and what does God say and what is good and perfect and acceptable. What is God's will? And we want to have that develop our minds and our hearts so we know who the Lord is. And so I want to do a quick review if you're new or I know we had the summer, so it's kind of like classes starting back. So real briefly, here's what we've covered so far in our worldview series. In the first message, we talked about how we as Christians believe in God who created the heavens and the earth. That, that defines our worldview, that there is a God. So we don't believe in a naturalist explanation for everything. We believe in the supernatural power of God. In the second message, we talked about how we are created in the image of God, which brings dignity and value to every single human life. And it also means that since God is our creator and he created us in his image, that we are accountable to God. God decides what is right and wrong for us. In the third message, we talked about how humanity is sinful, which means that the problem is not out there. The problem is in here, inside of us. And then in the fourth message, we talked about the cure, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And then finally, in June, so that was kind of the core of our worldview, God, creation, uh, sin, and then the cure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in June, we started diving into some specific false worldviews or beliefs that are surrounding you guys. I know it's a little tricky, but we talked about in June moral relativism, which believes that there is no absolute right or wrong. So everybody can decide for themselves what is right or wrong, which goes against what we said in the second message, which is God is our creator and God decides what is right or wrong. And so we're going to keep diving into some specific issues this fall. And tonight, specifically, I want to talk about psychology. Now, before you zone out and fall asleep as soon as I say that, we're not going to have some lecture on the discipline of psychology, but going to talk about the implications of it and the effect on your life. There are all these psychological terms and understandings that, from my per perception, have infiltrated 
TV shows and movies and music. We see them on Sesame Street and Arthur and the Avengers and Frozen and Pixar movies. Just for an example, uh, it was psychologists that developed the whole idea of self-esteem. And we've already talked about this a little bit, but this message that comes down to us now is to believe in yourself. And you see this everywhere. This is like motivational posters. And uh, I, just, I just typed that in. I said, believe in yourself. And there was like millions of results from uh, Miley Cyrus and Emma Watson saying, oh, believe in yourself and you can do anything you want to do. Believe in yourself is the tagline for you should have more self-esteem. Even this week with my youngest daughter, she was watching the American Girl doll movie. I don't know the name of it. I think the American Girl doll was McKenna. Is that one of the American Girl dolls? Is that okay? She was watching McKenna movie, and I was like, I want to see what she's watching. And I'll sit down with her and watch for a little bit. And the big resolving moment of the movie, like it all, you know, there's tragedy and she hurt herself and she was on the balance beam and she like didn't have the confidence to do it. And so the whole big moment of the movie was she had to believe in herself and she could do it. And she had these breathing exercises and like visualizing it. And I'm sitting there watching it like, oh, this is new spiritualities or false worldviews, you know. I told you I'm going to ruin all these movies for you with this series. And then she gives this whole speech. She does it. She lands it. Everybody cheers. And then she's like giving a speech. I don't know why she's giving a speech at the end of the movie, but it's like a graduation for fourth graders or something. I don't know. But she's giving this speech. And her message is just believe in yourself and you can do anything you want to do. And I thought, that is the American message from the American Girl doll right there. That's very American. That whole message is not very historical. It was popularized by psychologists who studied the effects of self-esteem on success. And it, it started about 60, 70 years ago, and it began gaining traction. It became popular in the education system um, to the point where it, it's, they started having things in schools like um, you can't mark up someone's test or homework with a red pen because a red pen may hurt their self-esteem. Or even in California, in their public schools, they put up on their mirrors, on their mirrors in public schools, they put up this sign. You are now looking at one of the most special people in the whole wide world. That's what they looked at in the mirror. It's why they started giving trophies to all kids. That's the reason why, because they thought if a kid doesn't get a trophy, that means he's a loser and it's going to hurt his self-esteem. Well, he did lose, so what do you call someone who loses, you know? Like, it's just a fact of reality. Gene Twenge, who is a psychologist at San Diego State University, wrote a book called Generation Me, Why Today's Young Americans Are More Confident, Assertive, Entitled, and More Miserable Than Ever Before. And she says it's because of the self-esteem movement that this generation is so narcissistic in nature. And in the book, she walks through how from a very young age, they're told all these things to build up their self-esteem because that was what psychology was saying was the way to cure their problems. Is they had, they, psychology determined that low self-esteem was the problem in America, and so we needed to correct that by promoting more self-esteem. And this psychologist said it really backfired and it made them grow up to be narcissistic. And she said, it's why this generation is so miserable. All of that just to give you one illustration of how psychology can affect and impact 
our lives. It affects how we view ourselves and the world around us. So what is psychology? Let me back up just for a second. What is psychology? You may never have heard of that before. Uh, Psych is the Greek word for soul. Psychology literally means study of the soul. Okay, it's pretty simple. It's just the study of the soul, which is a good thing. As Christians, we can study the soul and we can seek to understand why we do the things we do. It's not a bad thing to study the soul. The problem is many psychologists today don't believe in God. And many don't believe that we have a soul. So their explanation for why we do certain things has to do with either the environment we're brought up in or it has to do with naturalistic explanations of our bodies and hormones and our brains and things like this. So we see that there is a conflict in our worldviews because we believe in a God, we believe we have a soul, they don't believe in God, don't believe we have a soul, which is sort of ironic when your whole profession is the study of the soul. Jeff Myers and David Noble point this out in their book, Understanding the Times, which is a Christian worldview book. They say, ironically, the idea of an immaterial soul as the seat of our personal identity does not have much of a home in the world of psychology, though the very meaning of the word means the study of the soul. So psychology, which means the study of the soul, is practiced by many people who don't believe we even have a soul, and that is very ironic. So biblically, the view that we have, the Christian worldview, we're going to talk about what we believe for a minute, and then I'm going to give you a couple uh, applications of how this is affecting you today as a teenager. Okay, the Christian worldview is that we have a physical body, God created us with a physical body and an immaterial soul, also referred to often in the Bible as our hearts. When the Bible talks about our hearts, it's often talking about our souls. Proverbs 4, 23. I'm going to have several scriptures for you. You can just jot these down. And you can look them up and go back and study them later. Proverbs 4, 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. When the Bible speaks of our heart, it's not talking about the the thing inside of us, the organ that is beating blood through our body. It's talking about this immaterial part of us. It's talking about our souls, something you're not going to find on an x-ray, but it's actually what's driving us. It's, It's who you are. 750 references in the Bible to our hearts. There's over 250 references talking about our souls. And there's all kinds of different words the Bible uses when it talks about uh, what our hearts do and what our souls do. It talks about our desires come from our heart, our cravings, what we want. It talks about our loves, what we desire. All these things flow out of our hearts. That's why we have to keep them with all vigilance. The heart, the Bible says, thinks. So I know that that science says our brain thinks, but the Bible says it's our soul that has these thoughts, these imaginations, these dreams. Our heart discerns, it instructs, it plans, it loves, it rejoices, it despairs, it grieves, it hates, it rages, it resents, it boasts, it forgives, it steals, it strays. All these things are things that our heart can do biblically. 
So basically, the heart is what makes a person who they truly are. Biblically, your heart, your soul, that's who you are. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Moses asked a great question. What does God want? What does the Lord your God require of you? What does God want from you? Well, to fear Him, to walk in His ways, to love Him and serve Him with all of your soul. With all that you are inside, He wants you to love Him. Which shows us God created us with this soul because it can do good. It can love and it can, it can love God and it can love others and it can rejoice and it can express compassion to others. But as we learned in our third message, our soul, our hearts can also do evil. Our hearts can, can be deceived. The heart is deceitful above all things. It can worship other things other than God. Our hearts can be drawn to love money and possessions and created things more than the creator, Romans 1 says. It can do evil, can crave sinful things. Our hearts can lust. Our hearts can envy. Our hearts can desire things God forbids when we love these things more than we love our creator. So we see we have this heart, we have this soul. God created it. He made us this way in his image. It can do these great things or it can do these evil things. This is one of the focuses of Jesus's ministry. We've talked about this verse a lot, but Mark chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. He says, this is Jesus talking, for from within out of the heart of man, out of our souls, out of this part in us that you can't see, out of that comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these come from within and they defile a person. So what Jesus does is he applies the reality of sin to his understanding of what's wrong with us. What's wrong with us is not something out there. There's something wrong with our hearts. There's something wrong with our souls. This basic biblical understanding of what's wrong with us transforms how we see the problem psychologically as we study our souls and it changes what we believe the cure is. The problem with the self-esteem movement is it didn't understand the heart, the soul, the pride, the evil that can be in there didn't have the right cure for the problem. And there are all kinds of different worldviews and different psychologies that don't understand the biblical view of the heart. Has anyone here, I'm sure a lot of you have, have heard of Pavlov. You guys heard of Pavlov and his study with dogs I remember this from like ninth grade psychology class in, in high school in Memphis. So he was, uh, Pavlov was a Russian psychologist who studied, fascinatingly enough, the way dogs salivate. I don't know how he chose that topic. I don't understand. But he studied the way dogs salivate. And he would ring a bell. So what he did is he would give a dog food and he would ring a bell whenever he gave the dog food. 
And then he would put the food out and he would ring the bell and he would notice that even before the dog got to the food, when the dog heard the bell, it knew food was coming, so it would start to salivate. And then he wouldn't even put the food out. He wouldn't have any food at all. He would just go to the dogs and start ringing the bell without any food, which is kind of a really cruel trick to play on dogs when you think about it. But he realized that the dogs started to salivate, so they connected the, the bell to eating food. And then he came up with this whole philosophy behind this, that they were conditioned to respond a certain way. By the way, do you know why Pavlov didn't use cats for his research? I think this cartoon explains it well. That's how cats behave right there. They're like the worst animal on the face of the planet. I just saw that and I just had to throw cats under the bus for a minute there. So Pavlov was a psychologist who believed humans were just evolved animals. He had a worldview. He didn't believe in God, okay? So our first message, there is a God. He created us. He, he, he believed in evolution, that there was a natural explanation for how we got here apart from God. So Pavlov's worldview was that humans are just evolved animals. So he determined if we can do this with dogs, if I can make this association with dogs and I can get them to do something with this conditioned connection, then we can do this with humans as well. And he basically came up with a psychology that said we can create the perfect human race by conditioning humans to behave a certain way by controlling their external behavior. Now this is in the early 20th century in Russia. You know who grabbed on to this psychology is communism. And they began to apply this to the people of Russia. This is where communism got a lot of its psychology from. They began to think we can condition people through propaganda and through this movement to believe something, that we can control their behavior through all these externals. One of the most destructive worldviews in the history of the world. Millions upon millions of people died because of communism, because of this psychology. And if we think people are just evolved humans and we can control their behavior based on just these certain circumstances, then it's, it's applied all over the place today where people say, well, they'll explore your, your upbringing and your background and everything is connected to something that happened to you previously because your, your behavior is conditioned by your surroundings. This is very popular today. I mean, this is all over the place. This is happening. That is not a Christian worldview because it's ignoring a very central aspect to who we are, our souls. Now, those things, they do affect us. They do impact us. They are important to talk about, but it's our souls that decide what we want and what we crave and what we desire and what we love. And there's a God who made us who can redeem us from all of these things. And so there's all these different worldviews and they have huge implications for the world around us. And when they get the heart wrong, and when they get the heart wrong, they get the gospel of Jesus Christ wrong as well. Because when we see our sinful, we see how sinful our hearts are, then we realize, man, there's a problem in my soul. It's not just something I can fix when we realize I have an immaterial soul. I have a heart inside of here. And it's loving things other than God and I can't fix it. There's nothing I can do on the outside to fix that thing on the inside. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You whitewash tombs. You clean the outside of the cup, but it's the inside of the cup that's dirty. First clean the inside of the cup. 
You need a heart change. You need a heart transplant. You need to be born again. That's what Jesus talks about when he's saying, we need to be born again. Something radical has to take place in our hearts, in our souls. This is what God promised to do through the Savior. This is in the Old Testament. This is Ezekiel eleven nineteen. It says, God makes this promise to his people, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I'll give them a heart of flesh. It's what, it's what happened when Jesus said, and he said, you must be born again. The Spirit has to come. This has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this for yourself. You have to ask God. You have to turn from your sins and cry out to God and say, Lord, I want you to change my heart because I can't get there and I can't change it by myself. And just think about how amazing it is that God does that. The Bible says, literally, He takes out our hearts our souls, our sinful souls. He removes them and he gives us a new heart, a new soul within us that's so connected to Christ that it has a whole new identity. It means we're a whole new person. That's the whole blessing of the New Testament and the new covenant is we have the spirit of God inside of us and we're a new creation. When the Bible says you're a new creation in Jesus Christ, that's what it's talking about. It's not just new behavior, new things I do on the weekends. It's I have a brand new heart inside of me. God did that. That's that's the Christian worldview of why it's so important to understand our souls. Because when we see how sinful our souls are, we can run to the gospel. We can ask forgiveness from God. We can plead his mercy and he saves us and he gives us new hearts and new souls. A couple of categories to think about a Christian worldview versus a worldly worldview. So there's all these false worldviews. And these psychologies that don't believe in our souls and they don't have the right prescription because they get the problem wrong. And as Christians, we we think studying the souls is good. It's a wonderful thing to counsel and study what's going on inside of us. This is a good thing to do from a Christian perspective. But there's different things going on in our culture. So I just want to have, I really just have two kind of categories for you guys to think about as you look at the world around you and you hear these messages and you're watching American Girl doll and she's preaching you up to believe in yourselves. I want you to look at that and I want you to remember Romans 12 too and think, is this, is this God's will? Is this good and perfect? Is this in God's word? So a couple of categories to help you evaluate different psychologies I think we're hearing today. The first one is this. Is it God-centered or man-centered? Okay, is it God-centered or man-centered? One of the problems with so much psychology today, so much of what we see in shows and movies is it becomes all about self. It's very man-centered. We trust ourselves and we encourage people to love themselves. We think the problem is they don't love themselves enough. The Christian worldview at the core is not mainly about us, but it's all about God. It's what does God want? What does God say to do? Deuteronomy, he wants our wholehearted devotion to him because he is worthy. We should be God-centered as Christians. I was thinking about this, about how for hundreds, uh, maybe thousands of years really, 
mankind believed the geocentric model of astronomy, right? Which we know now is not accurate unless you think it still is today. But the geocentric believes that the universe revolves around the earth. And it was taught by ancient Greeks like Plato and Aristotle. And the reason they believed that the universe revolved around the earth is because of observation. They looked up and they thought everything seems to be moving around us in a certain pattern. And so they believed that. They looked at the sun and the stars and it appeared that way. And all of a sudden in the 16th century, along comes Copernicus. And he comes along with this heliocentric theory that the planets revolve around the sun and starts what's called the, the Copernican Revolution, a whole new way of thinking about Earth, that we're not the center of the universe, that actually the sun is the center, not even of the universe, but from what he knew at that point, and everything is revolving around the sun. And I love that, thinking about that, because I think the way we're born in our sin, naturally, is we are born thinking the whole universe revolves around us. I mean, that's just how we come out. That's just from a very young age, we think everything revolves around us. And a lot of the current climate and movies, that's kind of their psychology. That's their philosophy behind it, right? That, that's the current culture that we're in. So much is, what do I need to make me happy? And what do you need to do to make me happy? And what do you need to stop doing to make me not angry anymore, you know? And so we have all these words today like getting triggered and we're not allowed to trigger people or you can't offend anybody. And the whole thing is, it's, it's what serves me. It's whatever I think is right and you have to do whatever serves me. Well, if we don't believe in God as the core of our worldview, then we live that way. It's a lot of what's happening today. Just man-centered, it's self-focused. It's all about us. It's not the Christian worldview. This is what Walter Chantry says. He says, selfishness is the controlling force of sinful living. It is the motive which pulsates through the natural mind, emotions, and will. Self-pleasing, self-serving, living for self. If you see something that fits that definition right there, that's promoting that, encouraging that, telling you that's the right way to think. You need to think about yourself first. You need to think about your time first. You need to be about yourself first. You need to be about your happiness first. I have about 100 illustrations from culture, I can tell you, that promotes this every single day on TV. It, it's all about me first. That is not... A Christian worldview. That is a false psychology. Okay? It, it reminds me of Brian Regan when he talks about the me monster. Me, 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 me. You know, we always talk about ourselves and get ourselves into the conversation. As Christians, we're called to deny ourselves. That, that, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. I deny myself. I don't put myself first. I put myself last. I don't think about how other people can serve me. I think, how can I serve others? I'm a follower of Christ. I deny myself. It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what I desire. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. You know, I'm about the Lord. I'm about Jesus Christ. I'm about following Him. I care about what He says and what He thinks and what He's about. I'm about Him, not myself. This is basic to what Jesus told His disciples. This is Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. 
Listen to this. Think about this. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, you want to be a Christian? You want to follow Jesus? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. It's basic to being a Christian. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He flips the whole psychology of today on its head. No, no, no. It's not about pleasing yourself. It's about denying yourself. You want to be my disciple? You want to follow me? Deny yourself and follow me. Obey me. Do what I say. We're called to lose our lives for Christ. So when we come across things that are man-centered, and they're about pleasing ourselves and loving ourselves and esteeming ourselves more highly. We need to discern they have a different worldview than a Christian worldview. And just remember those verses. That's not, Jesus said, if you would come after me, deny yourself. Just place that over your banner, over your thinking. So that's one category to help you discern. Is this a Christian worldview or is this a different worldview? Is this God-centered or is this man-centered? Is this about pleasing myself and serving myself? Or is this about following Jesus Christ? Second category is emotions. How we think about emotions. And, and, uh, and the best way I could catch, say this in a catchy way is emotions as a gift or emotions as our God. Okay? Because a lot of psychology has to do with emotions. What we feel. And whenever we get rid of God and truth, if we say that there is no God and we're moral relativists, like we talked about last time, when we say there's no absolute truth, so there's no right or wrong that applies to everybody, that applies to every human on this planet, and we say every person decides for themselves what's right or wrong, what we're making as our God is our emotions. Okay, is that making sense? Basically, what we're saying is whatever I feel is true. And so emotions are becoming our functional God. I love how Mama Bear Apologetics says this. It's, they, they write in their book, emotions are like toddlers. They're fun, but you'd never put one in charge. And I totally agree with that. Tons of fun. God created us with emotions and he gave, he created us with emotions for a purpose as a gift but now we, they've gotten out of control. They've become our functional God. And what we've done today in our culture is we've put our emotions in charge. Okay? They are what we obey and submit to. And it explains so much of gender confusion today. This is the reason why. Because emotions have been, have been given authority in our lives as our functional God. So somebody hits a certain age and they say, well, I'm confused. I don't feel the right way. And so what they're doing is they're saying, since I don't feel this way, my emotions must be what are true. And so I'm going to change reality to fit what I feel. Emotions have become their functional God. And it's, I've been reading a lot about this. It's so sad what's happening. It is just tragic when you see, we're beginning to see now the consequences of young children taking these hormone suppressants and going through this gender transition and as they become older teens and even into adulthood, it's, it's not, 
it's not curing them, basically. Even, even psychologists who are honest are saying this isn't working. It's not changing the depression rate. The suicide rate is actually higher for those who go through this gender transition. And they're not getting the cure right because they don't see what the problem is. It has to do with our souls. There's something deeper than just our emotions. Emotions are out of control. Emotions, biblically, are a gift from God that we might worship God, that we might love God, that we might rejoice with others, that we might grieve with others when they're sad and they're grieving. Emotions are a gift. We can come alongside of them and we can experience empathy. We can experience compassion. We can experience love for others. All these things are a gift from God, but we don't put them in control. We don't give them authority. We don't put them in charge. And so today, when you see in our culture, uh, when, when you see movies or TV shows or videos and they're putting emotions in charge as authoritative, that is a different worldview from a Christian worldview. Emotions are a gift to help us, but if we put emotions in charge and live based on what they're telling us, things get out of control very fast because our emotions they're meant, to, they're meant to change. They go up and down. They change over time. Our emotions are meant to submit to the truth of who God is and respond to Him appropriately. So two categories from a Christian worldview of psychology. Think just to help you evaluate God-centered versus man-centered and then emotions as a gift or emotions as our God. Okay, a review. Psychology means to study our souls. To study our souls is a good thing. To worship God with all of our hearts is what we were created for. It's right for us to make sure our hearts and souls are in a good place. That's not a bad thing. And I think a great psychology is Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Think about this as a verse for psychology. Psychology is to study our souls. Listen to the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. You know me. You know my heart. If there's anything within my soul that's grievous to you, show me, Lord, by your Spirit. Teach me. Lead me in the everlasting way. That's good psychology right there that's a good study of someone's soul so let's have a christian worldview as we think about our souls let's be god-centered let's submit our emotions to the reality of who god is and let's discern when other worldviews and messages go astray from that path i'm gonna pray for you and now we're going to have, and then we're going to have a little discussion time so we can kind of, as family, start thinking and talking about some of these topics. So let me pray for you first, and then we'll dive into our discussion time. So Father, I thank you for everybody here tonight. Thank you for your word, which teaches us and instructs us and gives us wisdom and makes us wise so that we may know you, Lord, so that we may know our souls, so that we might know what we were created for. And I pray for all these teens here tonight. Just pray for so many of them. I just look at the culture around them and all the different worldviews and the messages 
coming at them, and I pray, Lord, that you would protect them. Pray that you would give them wisdom from your word. Give them wisdom from their parents. They, they might learn the way to follow you in this culture and trust you, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've got some time left for discussion tonight. Um, we do this as families, so if your parents aren't here, you can just jump in with a friend and their family. They'd love to talk to you, love to have a conversation with you about these things. So, number one, how does a Christian view of the soul differ from many other worldviews? So this is kind of a review if you're kind of paying attention. Number two, why might encouraging self-esteem not be a very helpful thing? How are we to think of our lives as Christians? And then number three, where have you seen your emotions go astray? What do you think was going on in your heart during those moments? So you can, you can always talk about this stuff a lot more later. This is just a kickstart conversations as families. So 10 minutes, kind of have a time of discussion, and then the worship team's going to come up after that and lead us in a closing song.